You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today we are going to look at um, cornerback. We've got two left. We've got corner and we've got safety. And if I forgot one, then too bad. No, we're not looking at kicker, punter, kick return, or any of that stuff. We're just not doing it. If you have any specific questions, call in 608-501-0718. But before we get there, I just wanted to touch on uh, one little thing here. Um, I've been kind of dancing around with and playing with all of this, whether it be Packers dislike, Bears overhype, or Jordan Love in particular dislike. And although we've kind of danced around it a little bit, I think a lot of people's dislike of Jordan Love has to do not so broadly as many people like to pretend with his college career, because that's not true. He didn't have a bad college career, but he had a bad statistical year in his final year of playing college. And that really seems to bother a lot of people. I don't know to what degree that's at the root of some of this Jordan Love disbelief, whether that be from Packer fans or just people at large. I don't think it's even necessarily the main driving factor, because I don't think most people even know what he did in college, Packers fans excluded. But I know that it's bothering some people, and whether some people are using that as a crutch just so that they can continue to attack Jordan Love because they don't like him, or whether it's a genuine dislike, I don't know. But I had somebody tag me in this, and I I don't want to make it a habit of creating a beef with other Packers creators necessarily, but... This is where he heard it, and this is where he wanted to send uh, this to me. The article is Green and Gold Fix, Tom Oates on Homer and Tony. I don't listen to this program, so I don't know much about it, other than, from what I understand, Homer is kind of in line with a lot of the other guys, sort of the older, especially radio, old-school media type of guys that seem to be kind of down on the Packers. And not, not in the traditional way in terms of, like, if you don't like Goot or Love, it's because you love uh, Rodgers. No, they didn't like Rodgers either. They just don't really like anything. But anyways, I just want to use this quote as sort of a jumping off. All right, now we get to you. Given what you've seen, heard all the assessments. Which ain't much. No, he might be. He might have something. You haven't seen much. No one's seen much. Correct. 
I know he threw 17 well, interceptions his last year in college before being drafted, and I'm still looking for someone to find me a college quarterback who threw that many interceptions who ended up being a good NFL quarterback. I so that's essentially where this person kind of got upset and sent it to me. Um, now, he clarified that what he said that he said, which is not entirely true, what he actually said was, I know Jordan Love through 17 interceptions the final year of his college career. End of comment. The next comment, I have yet to find anybody that threw that many interceptions in college and went on to be a good NFL quarterback. He did not specify it was the final year of college. He didn't necessarily even allude to it. He was describing when Jordan Love threw the interceptions. That was never, at least as far as the way he said it, if he meant it, he didn't say it. But anyways, I, I just went and did a look, and, and it turns out pretty much every quarterback you look at has had terrible interception years. I mean, it was it had to have been like eight out of every ten that I pulled up, four out of five, whatever. Freaking math teachers out there getting all pissy at me. So here's what I responded, and, and it's not because this is all I could find. I literally just stopped. Favre threw 15, touched, uh, 15 touchdowns to 13 interceptions. Now, that's not 17, but that is a terrible ratio. Eli threw 15, Matt Ryan threw 19, Mahomes threw 15, Josh Allen threw 15, Marino threw 23 in back-to-back -back years, Breeze threw 20. So let's start with that, because even if what he's saying is, no, 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 it has to be the final year, it doesn't really. The only way that that would be relevant is if what you have is a person, for example, if Jordan Love had interception issues his entire career, then you could look at it and say, he's got interception issues. Whereas if, if, let's say, Drew Brees had interception issues years one, two, and three, and then not in year four, or one, two, and then not three and four, or something like that, then you're seeing a progression. You're seeing a guy that struggled and got better. But if you see no issues, no issues, big-time interception issues in year three, and then no issues again, well, that's not a guy that really had interception issues. That's a guy that had a year that randomly resulted in a bunch of interceptions. And so to say that it has to only be the last year doesn't really make any sense because what you're, again, what you're seemingly trying to say is it has to be the last year because otherwise the issue got resolved. But that's not necessarily what we're looking at. Jordan Love didn't have an issue in college until his last year when something arose. And we know what those things are. We've, they're, they're very well documented. Whether or not you like that as an excuse or not, fine. But you're not looking at a guy that had interception issues and didn't get them resolved. You're looking at a guy that did not have interception issues that suddenly had a bad year, which is what happened to all these quarterbacks that I listed. Most of these were right in the middle somewhere, second year, third year. But even if you want to talk about the last year, again, I found Marino. I'm sure it's not the last one, but Marino, which was the most interceptions, 23, and it was his third and fourth year, which is funny for a couple reasons. Because number one, significantly more. Number two, it was his final year, but also it was just his last two years. So why did it suddenly crop up out of nowhere? Maybe he played more. I'm not entirely sure. I have to go back and look and I don't care. But, but again, the larger point is we're trying to look at this and pretend that Jordan Love had interception issues and he did not. He had an issue one year after the change in the offensive scheme and entire overhaul of the offensive line. Then again, there's also further context that I added here. Go watch the LSU game. A billion interceptions in that game. You know why? Because they were down by a million points, and he had two options. Throw the ball away, or throw 50-50 balls to his guys against LSU corners, who at the time were the number one defensive backs in football, and try to at least, you know, win the game. 
he tried to win the game. He threw as good a pass as you could possibly throw in these 50-50 balls, and some of them got picked off. That's not to say that that was every single one of his interceptions, but I think a lot of it came down to things were not going well, and he got far more aggressive. And a lot of the interceptions that you see are him trying to fit the ball in tight areas and the ball either getting jumped or whatever the case may be. It was a bad season, but it was an understandably bad season. And again, you would have to explain to me why a guy with interception issues the year before didn't have interception issues. If it's something that's just in his DNA and something that can't be fixed, it's kind of weird considering it was fixed a year prior. Then again, all of this, even if he did have interception issues, doesn't even take us to the place where we account for the fact that he got into the NFL and was taught how to read defenses better. Because again, almost none of these interceptions were accuracy issues. The vast majority are, are trying to squeeze a ball in an area, trying to make a play, and the defense making a better play. And, and again, sometimes it was a defender just squatting, and he should have seen that, and he shouldn't have thrown it, and he threw it, he got baited, and the guy jumped it. But we're not talking, like, d accuracy deficiencies. We're talking about everything fell apart, and he got overly aggressive. So in three years in the NFL, which I think we can all assume probably a higher caliber of coaching that goes on in the NFL, much better offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, and Matt LaFleur being his head coach, who is, again, an offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. Oh, and he sat behind Aaron Rodgers, which we've talked about a thousand times. That doesn't mean he's going to be good. I've never come to the point where I said, therefore, he's good. All I've ever tried to do is bring us back to zero with the full understanding that he has all the athletic tools to be whatever it is we hope he can be. There are no limitations. There aren't. The question is, how close to his ceiling is he going to get? If he reaches his ceiling, I'm sorry to tell all the love haters out there, but he is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in football. Because he does have that ceiling. It's just the way he plays. It's why guys like that get picked up. A lot of question marks, but man, if he hits his ceiling, that's exactly, and I'm not calling him Mahomes, but that's exactly why Mahomes got picked. And he, he by the way, they traded up in like the middle of the first round to get Mahomes. He fell because there's a lot of question marks. He wasn't the best quarterback in college football. You know who was that year? It was Baker Mayfield. You know who else was ahead of him? Mike White. You know who else was in front of him? Mason Rudolph. And one spot behind him was Mitch Trubisky. He was quite high up on the list. And Deshaun Watson was behind him also. And of course, you go down quite a ways and you get Josh Allen, who somebody else took a, took a flyer on. You can't just go based off of the, you know, and, and again, Mitch Trubisky. He, uh, or not Mitch Trubisky, um, Pat Mahomes. Like I said, he had 15 interceptions. It wasn't his final year, but it was the year prior to. 36 touchdowns, 15 picks. And actually, despite the fact that his picks went down in 2016, his turnover-worthy plays went up from 3.7 to 3.9. 4% turnover-worthy play percentage? It's actually quite high. And I'm not mad at you if, if that is a consideration, because it should be a consideration. But the issue that I have isn't that I'm taking multiple data points into advisement. That's what I'm asking you to do, the good and the bad. The problem that I have is saying, he's bad, how do you know, and then cherry-picking the bad only. And technically, he didn't say, I know he's going to be bad. He just said, I've never seen a college quarterback throw that many interceptions, and then in their final year, he didn't say it, but I'll pretend he did, and then go on to be a good quarterback. And again, now that he knows it's, it's Marino, there you go. And again, I haven't, I haven't looked at even more recent quarterbacks or whatever. I, I, was just, I went through a list of the best quarterbacks. But the, the, the final thing that, that gives me reason to believe is because it was a, despite what some people want to tell you, he was a consensus first round pick. That's not to say some people didn't think he was a second round pick, but to say that 
most people or everybody knew he was a second round pick is nonsense. It's absolute abject garbage. Again, we have an, an aggregator that pulls in all the data and he had him as a first round pick. You listen to the top voices in NFL draft stuff, first round pick. And the Green Bay Packers decided to trade up in the first round to get him. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's exactly the right decision. But based on the way Jordan Love is treated for the way that he performed in his final year, especially at a small school, he shouldn't have been a first-round pick. He shouldn't have even been a second-round pick. I mean, the fact that people are so gung-ho, oh, he should have been a second-round pick, so what? The guy that went after him was a second-round pick, and he's a very good quarterback, so even that isn't a great argument. People that are saying he should have been a second-round pick aren't even trying to say that. They're trying to say he should be significantly worse. The problem is nobody agrees with that. The problem is people saw a lot of value in Jordan Love, and the question is why. He threw 17 interceptions. He played for a small school. Why? Why is there so much love for Jordan Love? I don't get it. Answer that question, and you'll be able to come closer to having a little faith in Jordan Love. Go investigate it. Even as a second-round pick, the people that said, no, he's a second-round pick, why would they say he's a second-round pick? Why would they take Jordan Love even ahead of, of, of uh, Jalen Hurts? Because remember, Jalen Hurts wasn't an early second-round pick. He didn't go 33rd. He went 53rd. That's 20 spots down. So even the people saying, and I'm sure you can find one or two that wanted Jalen Hurts ahead of Jordan Love, but even those that are saying he's a second-round pick, they're still putting him ahead of Jalen Hurts. So you still have to deal with, even if you want to just hang your hat on the Packers reached, fine. You still have to answer the question. Why was so much value being put into Jordan Love when the guy was a terrible college quarterback for a small program? You still have to live with that question. You still have to answer that question. Because so far, for many of you, you've refused to answer that question. It's just, he's garbage, everybody knew it, and the Packers are stupid, and, and I'm going to be so happy when this all fails and I can say I told you so. So... Just answer the question. That's all you got to do. Even if you believe he was, he was a terrible quarterback and should have been a second-round pick, why do you think he was a second-round pick? Because if we just look at this past year, statistically, he should not have even really been drafted, should he? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just going back through it just for fun here. In 2022, you know how many quarterbacks threw 17 interceptions? Zero. In the entire FBS, we're talking about how many quarterbacks we got here. We've got 140. 55 quarterbacks, zero through 17 interceptions. Um, let's go back to 2021. How many threw 17 interceptions? The answer, zero. How about 2020? Let's go back here. How many threw 17? Zero. So we had 16, 16, and this year only 15. All right, let's go back to 2019. How many threw 17 interceptions? Oh, one. It's Jordan Love. He's the only one calling me from an 800 number okay so that's not good and 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 let's see uh anthony gordon tyler johnson jack abraham uh those are the guys that are even close to that none of those guys got drafted 2018 and, and none of the guys before got drafted i'm not going to go back and look at it 2018 interceptions all right we got two guys at 18 so that's more there was um arthur sitkowski from rutgers he threw four touchdowns and 18 interceptions Wow. All right, so we, we can disregard that one. But how about this one? Stephen Calvert, 21 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, 70 PFF grade out of Liberty. That's pretty similar to me. Where is he playing in the NFL these days? Oh, yeah, he's not. How about uh, Clayton Thorson? He threw 17 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 74 grade out of Northwestern. Where is he playing? Oh, he's not. Okay. 2017. Um, here we go. 
Tyler Rogers out of New Mexico State, 27 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, 73 PFF grade. Where is he playing? Oh, yeah, he's not. 17 picks by Shane Morris out of Central Michigan, 62 grade. He doesn't have a job. In fact, I, I'm trying to scroll down. The highest I can find here is Drew Locke, who is tied for 10th most interceptions, 44 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, and an 82 PFF grade. That sounds significantly better than Jordan Love, does it not? And, and Drew Locke was a second-round pick. So again, why would Jordan Love even be in this category? He, he had an 82 overall grade in 2017. He had an 88, and that was his, his second-to-last year. He got better the next year before he got drafted in Missouri. Went from an 82 to an 88, and then he went, uh, he had less touchdowns, but 28 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. This is what a second-round pick looks like. Why would Jordan Love be a second-round pick? And again, you, you can sit there and say exactly all you want, but you understand nobody thought he was anything worse than a second-round pick, and 90% of everybody thought he was a first-round pick, and everybody at the top thought he was a first-round pick. I shouldn't say everybody, but the vast majority. So the question isn't, why was everybody wrong except me? The question is, what is wrong with your thought process that you think you can look at his final year, see 17 interceptions, and just throw it all out? Or better yet, what is it about Jordan Love that despite that, he was seen as a first-round quarterback? You're the one that has to answer that question and figure it out because that's the reality. And your refusal to answer that question is only going to make you look stupid. And it's making you sound stupid when you go out and try to argue. Because you're not even trying to be serious about it. You're just casting aspersions about a Green Bay Packer with no information about what you're talking about. 2016, David Blau. 25 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. Uh, Oh, shoot. Deshaun Watson threw 17 interceptions. That's a bad one. Probably not in his last year, though, right? Uh, Let's see. Oh, it was his last year. Oh, dang. Hey, Homer, we got another one here, bro. Deshaun Watson threw 17 touchdowns in his final year at Clemson. He went from 2 to 13 to 17. Jordan Love was 6, 6, 17. It's a serious question, though, for you. Deshaun Watson, which I don't care what you think about him off the field, was probably the best young quarterback in football in, like, 2020. I mean, legitimately, there was a a period, and that period was 2019, 2020-ish, when I don't know that there was a quarterback that I would take over Deshaun Watson. Yes, he had a terrible year in Cleveland. It sucked. And by year, I mean, what did he play, six games? He had a terrible six games in Cleveland when he was being booed on the field and all kinds of off-the-field distractions and everything else. I understand he may never be good again. I don't know what the situation is there. But this dude is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the entire NFL. So you can play stupid games and say, oh, you think he's good? Yes, he is, and you freaking know he is. His interceptions got worse every year through 17 in his final year. Now, you can move the goalpost if you want and create different criteria, but if we're just looking at the interceptions, which is all I was presented with, then here you go. And if you want to move the goalpost, fine, but you, you first have to tear down the interception thing because 17 interceptions is no longer definitive when it comes to defining a quarterback. But still... Answer the question, why was there any faith put in Deshaun Watson, who threw 17 interceptions in his final year in college? I think it's probably for the same reason that if you kind of broaden these things out and look at any other category. Um, If you look at, for example, total yards thrown in 2016, Pat Mahomes was number one. Deshaun Watson was number three. So yards are probably a good metric to determine which quarterback we should draft. The problem is the guy in between the two is, is... 
a man by the name of Ryan Higgins. Anybody? The point is, there is no one metric. It doesn't even, even PFF grade, it doesn't matter. Again, Baker Mayfield, this is 2016, Baker Mayfield, then Mike White, then Brent Stockstill, then Mason Rudolph, then Pat Mahomes, then Mitch Trubisky, then Nick Stevens and Quinton Flowers, down and down and down, then Sam Darnold. And even as bad as Sam Darnold is, why wasn't Quinton Flowers drafted, but Sam Darnold was a first-round pick? That doesn't make any sense. Because this isn't how you do things. You don't just blindly look at stuff and say yards or interceptions or grade or whatever, and then say that's how you know who you should draft. That's how you know how good they're going to go from college to pros. Because guess what? Sam Darnold's PFF grade in college and Sam Darnold's PFF grade in the pros, very different. The question isn't, how good are they? Because that's going to one-to-one directly correlate to how good they're going to be. The question is simply, how good are they going to be? And staring at 17 interceptions and throwing this guy under the bus and backing over him for four freaking years over that is crazy. Again, you want it as a data point? Take it as a data point. You should take it all as a data point. But I want you to take the year prior to that as a data point. I want you to take the Chiefs game and the Eagles game as data points. I want you to look at 2021 preseason and 2022 preseason. And then I want you to be intelligent and not biased. I want you to understand that 2022 is more recent than 2021, so Philadelphia is more recent and accurate than Kansas City. The 2022 preseason is more recent and accurate than 2021. And that kind of coincides with everything we've heard about how he wasn't was really struggling prior to and then really took a massive, or I think the term Matt LaFleur used was galactic leap in 2022. All of which, by the way, is him growing from what he was in college. Which, again, the question is, what was he in college? What were those attributes? And I know you're refusing to acknowledge it, but just freaking be honest with yourself and recognize why everybody acknowledged him as a first or second round quarterback as opposed to an undrafted free agent. You answer that question. Why wasn't Jordan Love an undrafted free agent? Okay? All right. Let's, uh, let's look at corners. Again, for those that are new, which you're kind of coming in late, but we're simply getting acquainted with those we don't know and reacquainted with those we do. That's all we're doing here now. So we're going to start with Jair. And honestly, I actually enjoy looking at the more known guys than the less known. The less known, first of all, they're guys that probably aren't going to make the team, a lot of them. Second of all, they're guys that we just went through all this stuff. So it's a little bit more fresh in our minds, although not super fresh. But I'm finding, at least with myself, looking at guys like Preston and whatnot, it's kind of recentering everything. Whereas I feel like I know everything, or at least have a pretty good handle on things, I really don't. And I start speaking with shorthand and things that I either misunderstood, misremembered, made up in my mind, or, you know, my thoughts have evolved over time. And and then when you start to fill in the blanks, some of those fill-ins, which are not real, you start to think are real because you can't tell the difference. So, um, And I think Jair is kind of similar. I don't know because I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like the fan base has treated Jair very similar to how they've treated Razul, who we'll get to momentarily. And and I guess Devondre would be somebody that we already talked about that's kind of getting the, um, the ho-hum treatment. And essentially the way it works is somebody who is good becomes at some point a 10 out of 10, and then the next year they go back to being like an 8 out of 10, which is really good, but not unrealistically good. And everybody just kind of goes, eh, I guess he wasn't that good. Right? Devondre had a good year last year. And everybody kind of acts like, well, eh, so much for that guy being good. No, 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 no. No, no. He, he still he still was a fine linebacker. Significantly better than we've really had here in a very long time. Not that that's saying much, but still. 
Just because he wasn't the number one linebacker doesn't mean he didn't have a good year. All right, this is this has the uh, same feeling I get from the fans. We're like, yeah, well, this team's no good. Look at look at safety. Look at this one hole and that one hole. Like, do you actually think getting like ten out of ten at every position is a realistic and feasible goal? Good lord, good is good. Number one in the NFL is not a thing that very many people hold on to unless your name is Aaron Donald. It's just not a thing that you hold every single year. And so, again, Jair falls into that camp. And in reality, I mean, he actually was better this year than pretty much any other year. If you're, if you're going based on PFF grade, but, but I mean, his coverage grade, and, and we can go through some other things, his um, NFL passer rating, kind of across the board. So Jair has always been good. Right, th this is where it kind of gets, there's a lot of disagreement as Packer fans remembering things differently. But um, there seems to be this idea that he kind of broke out in year two. His PFF grade as a rookie was a 72, which is very good for a rookie. His PFF grade in the year two was a 72. It was identical, only slightly lower, 72.4 compared to 71.9. It's It's negligible, the difference. But again, the idea that he just blew up and got significantly better, meh. So here, here's the situation I was looking at. He went from 72 to 72 to 90 and then 73.4. Now, the 73.4 is on a very, very limited time frame before he got injured, but I'm looking at it going, okay, so you're talking 72, 72, 90, 73, the dude is like a 72-73 player. Like, he's extremely consistent, aside from this one year where he blew up, and we know he's not going to maintain that. Now, it doesn't mean he has to come all the way back down to a 72. He could go lower, he could be higher, he could be whatever. But I was honestly expecting to see more of year one, year two, year four Jair Alexander, which, again, is a good corner. For reference, in 2019, which was his one sort of full season prior to 2022 and not including his elite year, but in 2019, he ranked 25th. Now, that's not elite, but that's still solid. And honestly, the difference between him at 25 and uh, the top 10 corner is 72 compared to 79. Like, it's, it's not that drastic of a difference. You, you don't start seeing the mega elites until you get into 3, 2, and 1, which is Quentin Dunbar, J. Ron Kurse, and Richard Sherman. All three of those guys, by the way, are guys that did not live at the top, although Richard kind of... He stayed high for quite a while, but he's a unicorn. Jaron Curse and Quentin Dunbar, pfft, nothing. So those were kind of fluky, right? And then, then after that, it was 84, 83, 82, 80, and then down into the 70s. So he's fine. Is he number one? No. Is he top five or even top ten? Not necessarily, but he is a clear number one solid uh, cornerback. And, and honestly, if you just look at coverage grade, which is really what anybody cares about, he ranks 16th. Listen, if Jair plays for another five, six, seven years, however long, I don't know how long he's going to be in here, and he's only a top 15 corner, but he is consistently top 15 every year, I will take that. I know some of you won't. I am entirely too risk-averse and understand how volatile football is. If you can guarantee me even top 20 over the next five years... Heck, give me three years of guaranteed top 20 play and health. I will sign on the dotted line. Even if it means you, you, you're telling me he will not be top 10. I will take that. But again, then he explodes in 2020. 2021, he gets hurt. 2022, again, remember, 72, 72, 73. Those were his sort of baseline. 90 was a fluke. What was he this past year? He wasn't a 60, like a lot of people treat him. Like, oh, he had a bit of a down year. 
He didn't even go back to being a top 20 guy. He had an 80.3 PFF grade and an 82.1 coverage grade, which was his second highest by a pretty decent margin aside from 2020. So, no, he didn't go back to 2020 Jair. And I'm really sorry to tell you, I don't think he ever will. That's not to say he can't. I think he's capable. I'm just saying, when you get into these areas, you're talking about fleeting things. He can be very, very good. He can be top 10, top 5, and not be top top number 1. Even the year that he was number one, it was like between him and Xavier Howard, and it was this back-and-forth battle, and Xavier was ahead of him for a long time, and it was almost entirely based on him just having a billion picks. And then I think in the end, Jair got it. I think. I don't know. Maybe he didn't even. Pretty sure he did, though. But at the end of the day, who freaking cares? It's not about number one, because where you rank is subjective to all the other corners, right? You can be the number one corner in a down-corner year. Right? You, you, you go look at, for example, stats. You'll see some years where five is the number one amount of picks, and then the next year it's like 15 or something stupid. You know, And everybody, there's just this flurry of interceptions. and guy, These things come in waves. I'm not worried about how he stacks up to everybody else. There is some relevance to it because, you know, you, how your team compares to everybody else matters. But what matters to me the most is, is he a good corner? And the answer for five straight years has been yes. 72, 72, 90, 74. 34-ish, and 80 are incredible grades. And in coverage, 73, 77, 91, 75, 82. The guy's never had a down year, and his run defense for the first year ever was actually pretty decent. And it's gotten better pretty much since year two. Kind of went back in year two. But if you go since 2019, it was 46, 61, 66, 71. And, and again, I, I just, I, I, I can't help but feel like, and I say we, but I also think I'm included in that because... You know, we were really excited about Jair in 2019 and 2020, um, especially in 2020. I think some of us were starting to get skeptical, or some people were, um, about whether or not he was ever going to be super good or whatever. But this past year, he ranked uh, ninth overall. He ranked fourth in coverage. Only Sauce Gardner, Patrick Sertan, and Duke Shelley, who did not even play a full-time role, graded ahead of him. So if we remove Duke Shelley, which we should, because... That's clearly a fluke. His grades over four years have been 64, 57, 53, and 83, and he's never played a full-time role. We're talking about Jair being the number three corner last year behind Sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertan. Behind him, again, looking at full-time roles, Stefan Gilmore, Tyson Campbell, Patrick Peterson, Jalen Ramsey, DJ Reed, Darius Slay, James Bradbury, Charvarius Ward, Asante Samuel, on and on and on. He had an unbelievable year. And I, you know, part of it probably has to do not just so much with him as with the defense overall, right? The defense looked lost. And to be completely honest, he would have had a better year if it not been for the death stretch. Now, we've talked about with almost every single person we've talked about, which is for, they're, they're, it's different for each person, but similar. Weeks three through seven. Tampa, he didn't play week four. Then the Giants, the Jets, and Washington. That stretch, I'm telling you, something happened in the locker room. And the only thing I can think is when Rodgers busted his thumb or whatever, everybody lost hope. I don't know. And Jair did get hurt week three, so his grade was bad, but it shouldn't count. But he had a 43 grade. But even when he came back week five, it was 63, 66, 53. Right? So, so that four-game stretch there was not great. But after that, he had one game where he graded in the 50s. That was against L.A., which is a little surprising. 
but four of his you know five best games after the death stretch came in the last five weeks and again even with you know a a a bunch of 60s mixed in you know 60 against the giants 60 against the jets 50 against washington 60 against detroit 60 against dallas 60 against tennessee 60 against philly 50 against la he's still graded as the third best corner with all the inconsistencies in the secondary and guys not being motivated and guys being confused and all this garbage having the bad stretches before getting back to to being a defense that they should be. So even I'm starting to talk myself out of him not being number one again, which again is not because he's not talented enough, but I mean, just even last year, if we didn't have that rough patch and if Jair didn't get injured, I'm not saying he could have been quite as high as Sertan or Gardner necessarily, but it certainly could have been a lot closer. Those two guys were kind of freakish. Um, Jair, 82, Sertan, 87, Sauce Gardner was a 90. But a lot of it just comes down to consistency. A couple other things to point out about Jair's 2022 campaign. First of all, aside from 2019, he's only ever given up two touchdowns, which is kind of crazy. 2019, he gave up five. And I understand 2021 wasn't a full season, so the fact that he gave up two might not be that great. But it was two, five, two, two, two. I I, I find that to be kind of staggering. Patrick Sertan has given up three and four in his two seasons in the NFL, just as a point of reference. Very, very good corner. I'm just saying two touchdowns as a, in a given year usually is quite low. What about interceptions? When did he have the most interceptions? It wasn't 2020. It was 2022. His interceptions every year have been one, two, three, one, and then five this last year. And it's not because of more snaps. This is the third most out of five seasons that he's played. 2019 and 2020, he had more opportunities. The biggest difference between 2020 and 2022 is the pass breakups. He didn't quite have as many. But even his NFL passer rating, as I said, it was his second lowest. 94, 92, 54 elite year, 93, and then 66. It was significantly better than what we've seen in years in 2018, 19, and 2021. And that's, that's, this is significant even to me because, again, the question for me was, okay, we saw the 90. And we got to kind of disregard the 2021, although it's it scares me that it's so close to 2018 and 2019. But we can assume some regression from 2020. We don't have to, but I'm going to, because I think that that's sort of nearly impossible for any one player, again, not named Aaron Donald or Von Miller, to maintain 90s every single year. A few people do it, not very many. But the question is, if he regresses, what is he going to regress to? There's no reason to believe he would be worse than what he was in his first two seasons. But he could go back to that. But now as I look at it, I'm thinking, I don't think he's going to fall that far. I don't really see a reason to believe he's going to fall that far. In fact, I think 2022 was a, in a weird year, uh, in a weird way, kind of a down year. Again, with the, the injury and the bad patch, and then just the, the secondary in general being kind of a hodgepodge and a little bit more of a mess than it should have been. Whether that's Joe Barry's fault or the, the player's fault, whatever, you can, you know, choose your own story adventure but i think had it not been for those things which could happen again but had it not been for those things his grade would have been even higher which means closer to the 90 than the 72 right now he's about splitting the difference which again zero complaints because splitting the difference between 90 and 72 means top five corner so i am not complaining and again this isn't to say pff is the ultimate be-all end-all but it's very hard to find especially with certain positions right you can look at quarterback and find some pretty good metrics that give you an overall picture of a quarterback. For corners, what do you got? Are you going to look at picks? That's stupid. Tackles? 
we've got to have some kind of overall metric to use. So I'm comfortable with it. If you say he wasn't that good, fine. But it's hard to believe he falls out of the realm of being a, a, a good corner or even kind of a very good corner. And I think the larger point here is, again, it, it's, we, we got so spoiled with 2020 that when 2022 didn't turn into 2020, um, especially as a defense as a whole, I think we all kind of, myself included, thought Jair maybe did worse than he did. And I don't think that's the reality. All right, why don't we take a break, and then we got to start to fly here. We have too many people to get through. <laughs> but uh, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Why don't we go with Stokes just because, you know, it's kind of an unusual situation in general, and I don't exactly know where we stand with Stokes. I did post that graph. Again, a lot of different metrics you can use. PFF, not nearly as impressed with Stokes. Granted, he was injured, but he played, you know, half a year. Uh, But anyways, the chart basically showed, if you look at, um, I think it was separation? I'm not positive, but... It was it was man and zone coverage, and Sauce Gardner would, was miles ahead of everybody, and Eric Stokes was basically the second best in in this group. So something to kind of give people a little something something to dig their teeth into. But I also think we're kind of coming down a little bit too hard on Stokes. I think most people have given up. Like he's he's just a, turns out he's just a bad corner and all that. He might be. I don't know, but. I'm going to chalk it up to not enough information. So as a rookie, he was decent. And I think most of us agree with that. In fact, he may have been even a little bit overhyped. He had a 65.5 grade, which is fine for a rookie. Gave up 609 yards, uh, four touchdowns, had one pick and nine pass breakups. 
Touchdowns are a little much, but it's nice having a pick and nine pass breakups. 79 passer rating when targeted. But then in 2022, he dropped off. We all saw it. PFF confirms it. 53 grade. 33 was run defense, though, which again, as much as it's important, coverage is really the biggest thing here. And he had a 60 coverage grade, which is average. It's still lower than his 67, but it's a 60. He gave up 275 yards and a touchdown, zero picks and zero pass breakups, 125.8 passer rating, which obviously sucks. Here's here's kind of the biggest issue. He played the first half of the season. What's wrong with that? Half of those games are the death stretch, and yes, he has the exact same trajectory. Weeks 1, 2, and 3 are not that bad. Then you get 4, 5, 6, 7, which is New England, the Giants, the Jets, and Washington. He is horrific. And then he picks it up again against Buffalo and Detroit. Now, he got injured against Detroit, didn't play a full game, but still, it was fine. None of this was elite, but I just want to compare the two. Let's just eliminate those four games in the death stretch. Eric Stokes goes from a 53 grade, where the heck did it go now, to a 70. He was our second highest graded corner. Now, I'm I'm cherry-picking deliberately for Eric Stokes. By the way, Jair, 81, Uh, because again, everybody has a little bit of a different death stretch. But he has a 70 overall grade and a 75 coverage grade. There's absolutely nothing wrong with how he was performing outside of that horrible stretch in which everybody struggled. And the reason why guys like Jair and some of the others ended up with decent grades is because they finished out the rest of the season and were able to compensate for that disaster of a stretch. To put that into context, Eric Stokes in that death stretch had a 39.2 grade, 36 run defense, 43 coverage grade. However, Keyshawn Nixon was a 50. Jair was a 60. Razul is the only one that seemed to survive that stretch. I think he had a higher grade in that than otherwise, but even that was a 66. Nobody had a good grade in overall or in coverage. Not one of our corners. And so my point is, Eric Stokes had a decent year last year. If you eliminate the horrible stretch in which almost every single player on our defense in fact, let's just let's just look at it. Again, everybody's a little bit different. But the only guys that had good grades, Rashawn, Devondre, Rudy Ford, Adrian Amos, Preston Smith, five guys in that stretch. And even that, it's just because you have to tweak the stretch. Um, Devondre really wasn't very good, but he had one really, really good game against the Giants. So that skews it. Rudy Ford was perfectly fine in that stretch. In fact, he was actually significantly worse after the stretch, but we'll get to Rudy Ford later. Amos was similar. Maybe the safeties just... It was the only time that those guys were any good. And then for Preston, it, it kind of... I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't have a death stretch either. And remember, this is offense and defense. But that's it. Those are the five. And again, Devondre, eh. So there's about four. Nobody else did well. I mean, even on the offense, Rodgers had a 68 grade, 69 passing grade. Our uh, only solid receivers were Josiah DeGuara and Randall Cobb. Uh, and, and, and Lazard, I guess. Um... Watson did not grade very well in that stretch. Aaron Jones did not grade out very well in that stretch. Uh, Dobbs was horrific. And AJ Dobbs, and, and as, as receiving grades, Dobbs and A.J. Dillon were 40s and 30s. Anyways, you get the point. I'm not trying to completely excuse it and say, therefore, he's good. That's not the point. What I'm saying is I think we're dismissing him too quickly. He had a decent rookie year. He played a half a year next year, which didn't turn out well, but he only played in the stretch in which our defense was terrible. He wasn't given the opportunity, like a lot of other guys, to play down the stretch when our defense really picked it up. So I am hopeful for uh, his return and hoping that he can kind of come back and and show us all that he hasn't lost anything. Uh, Razul, again, I find Razul to be similar to 
a lot of these other guys, I think because the defense was bad and because he was so good, quote-unquote, in 2021, which even that is, is, I think, overblown, that we feel as though Razul also fell off. He basically didn't in almost any category. So to be clear, again, we picked up a guy that, um, aside from one year, never really did very much. His grades prior to coming here, three years at Philly, 64, 72, 52. That was his one good year, was a 72. Then he goes to Carolina, has a 60 grade, 60 coverage grade. Comes to Green Bay. I have very low expectations because, again, aside from the one year, he's never really done anything. He has a 75 PFF grade, a 77 coverage grade. Has two touchdowns, given up five interceptions and seven pass breakups. 46 passer rating, and it was the five interceptions largely that kind of made him a stud. And, and it was the way in which he did it. Not only is five a relatively big number, but these are like game-winning walk-off interceptions. I think as Packer fans, none of us are ever going to forget that Eagles game where he gets a pick against A.J. Green that is just a walk-off game-winning interception. That was unbelievable. For I think all of us thought, it's over, we lost. Like There's like a 2% chance we're about to win this game. And he just sealed it. Do you know how many interceptions he had and, and pass breakups in 2022? Four interceptions, seven pass breakups. It's just one less pick. It was like the same thing. Now, he did give up two more touchdowns, but here, here's the overall. He went from a 74 to a 71 overall. He went from a 56 run defense to a 71 run defense, significantly better. 61 tackling grade to a 70 tackling grade, significantly better. His pass rush went from non-existent to a 73 because he went from no pass rush attempts to four attempts and a sack. And then his coverage grade went from a 77 to a 72. It's down, but it's still solid. And I feel like we, we treat him as though he was a 90 and then he went down to like a 50. No, he went from a 74 to a 72 or 71. That's it. It was not that big of a difference. The statistics, the grades, nothing's really that different. And his run defense and tackling was a lot better. He went from an 11.5% missed tackle rate to 9.9, from 53 tackles to 65, from 14 stops to 32. The only real difference is he gave up more yards and two more touchdowns. So from 360 yards to 536, and from two touchdowns to four. I, I just think we over-dramatize things. He wasn't as good as we make him out to be in 2021, although he was perfectly fine. He was nowhere near as bad as we make him out to be in 2022. And again, sign me up for, if we can get the same version of Razul in 2022, sign me up. 70s across the board? Are you kidding me? Good overall, good run defense, good tackling, good pass rush, good coverage. 500 yards, four touchdowns, four picks, seven pass breakups, 84 passer rating when targeted. Yeah, let's, let's, let's run that back again. The other final solid thing about Razul is he was mostly good. He had a real bad game against the Giants, a real bad game against Buffalo looking at his coverage grade. And then just two kind of down games against Philly and Detroit to end the season, which sucks. But, I mean, it was pretty consistent. You know, again, some of these guys, they got decent grades, but it's because there's like two 90s mixed into a bunch of garbage. This is like 70, 80, 80, 60, 30, 60, 90, 20, 70, 60, 70, 50, 80, 60, 60, 70, 40, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's solid almost every single week. So... I, I am and always have been somewhat of a, a Razul skeptic just because, you know, we've seen the not super great for so long. I'm just waiting for the bad thing to happen. But it, the point is, it didn't happen. Just like Devondre, I was expecting a big regression and we didn't get it. There was a regression, but it wasn't back to what he was. It was just a slightly lesser awesome version. Same thing with Devondre, Razul, and Jair. They had these big boom years and then they regressed back to something normal. 
but nowhere near as bad as, as what their floor is. Jair didn't go back to his rookie season. Razul didn't go back to what he was in Carolina. Devondre didn't go back to what he was in Arizona. They just kind of leveled off, but at a high level. So I'm, so I'm fine with any one of these guys staying exactly where they were. But all right, let's keep it rocking. I think next up... So, so here, here's the full list, by the way. We got Jair, Razul... Oh yeah, we got to do Keyshawn next. Jair, Razul, Keyshawn, Eric Stokes, Shamar, Carrington Valentine, Keandre Thomas, Tyler Ford, excuse me, Tyrell Ford, Corey Ballantyne, and Hooper William. William Hooper. <laughs> Good Lord. Shut up. I think that's everybody. I don't know. So that's the list. All right, Keyshawn Nixon. One of the weirdest stories ever. So Keyshawn came over here. The assumption was he's coming here to be a special teamer, um, but definitely not a kick returner. And although I, I did, and I don't know if I went, I may have already gone back, found the podcast and played the receipt. I don't know. But I did say that I had some thoughts that maybe he could come here and play on uh, defense. Reason being, his final year for the Raiders, he had a 77 overall grade, 85 pass rush grade, and a 75 coverage grade, which obviously is quite good. Here's the thing with Keyshawn, though. As much as he is, seemingly everything he touches turns to gold, including his special teams ability, his kick return ability, his defensive ability, and I believe he wants to play on offense as well, and why should we doubt him? Um, I don't think he played quite as well as many of us seem to remember. So remember, one year in Green Bay, he played more snaps on defense than he ever has in his career, but in terms of his ability in the slot, it was semi-limited exposure, and although it wasn't all bad, it certainly wasn't all good. So he played week one, but only one snap, and it was on the boundary. Then in week three, he comes back with a vengeance, plays 57 snaps in the slot out of necessity. He ends up with a 55-grade, 55-coverage grade. He gave up eight receptions for 80 yards. Then he comes back the next week, plays against New England, has a 49-grade and a 45-coverage grade, Gives up four targets, three receptions, 41 yards, and a touchdown. So that's not good. Weeks 5, 7, and 8, he plays a grand total of four snaps. Doesn't really count. Comes back week 9, plays against Detroit, 39 snaps. Gets a 35 grade and a 30 coverage grade. Four targets, two receptions, 17 yards. Statistically, there's really nothing bad about that. But PFF watched him play and apparently absolutely hated it. Then he plays two snaps against Dallas, one snap against Tennessee, and then comes back down the stretch. Here's where things get start to get positive. Although very small sample size, so I don't know we can put a ton of stock into it. Week 12 against Philly, 66 snaps, 73 grade, 70 run defense, 76 coverage grade. Two targets, two receptions, negative one yards. Comes back against Chicago, has his best game of the season, 37 snaps, 84 overall grade, 72 run defense, a 90 coverage grade, almost 89.2. Two targets, one reception, 14 yards, and a pick. Week 15, 45 snaps, 70 PFF grade, 70 coverage grade, four targets, four receptions, 27 yards. Then against Miami, he only plays seven snaps, grades out pretty average, zero targets, zero receptions. So he played essentially one, two, three, four, five, six games. His first three were bad. His last three were real good. That's it. That's all we know. Now, 
we may have found an absolute stud in Keyshawn Nixon because remember down the stretch is kind of when our defense started to figure out although this is kind of a different period this is Philadelphia Chicago and LA LA would be the only one that was post by but I don't care this is down the stretch this is like post Buffalo Keyshawn's more familiar with the defense etc etc and also for some reason this is this is uh only three of his four games in which he started were the the good games which i guess it doesn't matter because the snap counts are what matters but still worth noting he didn't start against tampa when he had the 55 grade and he didn't start against detroit when he had the 35 grade relevant because if you come in then you're you know come in in the middle of the game it's not the same thing as being ready to be the dude from the jump but look Keyshawn has never really been a starter. He didn't do super well when he started off in Las Vegas playing as an actual defensive player. He did in 2021, and he ended strong in 2022. But, I mean, it's it's like a toss-up. And I'm looking at a guy that was a 2019 undrafted free agent. I know that doesn't have to mean anything. Some of these guys can break out, and we've had several of them as Green Bay Packers, right? No question about it, especially as DBs. I just I, I just don't know, but 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 here's what I will say. The fact that we see a lot of us see Keyshawn Nixon as a for sure thing and Stokes we're ready to throw away. I'm 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 about as 50-50 on both of them, with the exception being that Eric Stokes has, as we all know, a significantly higher upside. So if we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to anybody, as much as I love Keyshawn, we gotta give it to Stokes. And 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 honestly, if if Keyshawn can just be a kick returner. I don't have any problem with that. I don't need him to be our slot corner. Razul can be the slot guy, but we'll see. It, it's a weird situation with a guy that hasn't played the position a ton, really struggled early, finished strong, but it's way too small of a sample size to know for sure. But that's what it is right now. And we can just hope that he picks up where he left off, just like we hope the defense picks up where it left off last season so we can get a strong start and beat the freaking Bears. Good? Good. All right. Um, so as I have been, I'm I'm going to stick with where our lads has everything as of right now. And as of right now, behind Jair is Eric Stokes. Behind Razul Douglas is our 2023 seventh-round pick, Carrington Valentine. Now, I guess that's not massively surprising because there aren't a ton of other options. But we did have Keandre Thomas. That could potentially, you know, be a guy, I guess. But it is kind of interesting to see a guy that was a that that is a rookie seventh-round pick that's kind of being thrust into a, I hope you're ready to go. You know, if... if, if uh, if Razul goes down, I don't know that Carrington doesn't just come in and play right there. It's a heck of a thing. But let's talk about it. Carrington Valentine was Dane Brugler's number 28 cornerback. Had him as a sixth-round pick. Got 4-4-4 speed. He is 21.6 years old. Um, call him six foot 193 out of Kentucky. Grew up a Bengals fan, apparently, being from Cincinnati. Went to a uh, super fancy all private all-boys school, has produced numerous professional athletes such as Ken Griffey Jr., Sam Hubbard, as well as others. Obviously, like everybody else, went on to be a very good high school player, got first-team all-area honors. He's also a standout on special teams over his prep career with a 31.7 kick return average with two touchdowns as well as a pair of blocked kicks, and was a standout basketball player, helped lead the team to a 2019 state championship. He was a three-star recruit, number 91 cornerback in the 2020 recruiting class, number 39 recruit out of Ohio. After he moved to cornerback as a junior, the offers started pouring in, including several Big Ten programs, Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue, and Rutgers. He considered his hometown Bearcats before committing to Kentucky over Michigan State and Pittsburgh. 
He comes from a family of athletes. His older sister, Rashala, played women's basketball at UMass. His older brother, Jarek, played college soccer at uh, Bellarmine. And if we skip down to the summary here, it says a two-year starter at Kentucky. Valentine was the boundary cornerback and defensive coordinator Brad White's zone-heavy scheme. Still relatively new to the position after moving to corner as a junior in high school, his 2022 tape was a tad volatile with plenty of flashes mixed in with some mistake-filled games. Valentine has an enticing blend of physical tools and physicality that fits the mold of what NFL teams want at the position, but he will lose route phase positioning because of his lack of refinement. He allowed eight completions of 25-plus yards in 2022, and his one career interception is a troubling stat. Overall, Valentine is long, aggressive, and athletic, and has yet to reach his ceiling as a cover man, but his ball instincts and technique are underdeveloped, making his draft grade much more a projection than others. He projects best as a long-limbed press corner. So I think the interesting thing about that is the contrast between what I said when I started this and, and how it ended. Because what I said is he's in a position to potentially play pretty quickly if things go south. But based on what I'm reading, he is a projection, meaning he's not ready to play. He's got some incredible tools, but he's very raw, and he's going to kind of potentially probably be a disaster if he ends up starting too early. And I think the unfortunate thing about that is a lot of people are excited about the highlights that have been thrown in their face on social media about Carrington Valentine. And the first time somebody points out, or, or the second time, or the third time, that he got beat deep by Romeo Dobbs or Jaden Reed, people are going to start throwing him just, well, I guess so much for that. When in reality, as it said, he's kind of known for that, right? He's a good corner that just, due to his lack of understanding and refinement and all that, is prone to kind of giving up those big plays. But look, there, there is a lot of hype coming out of the uh, Carrington-Valentine camp. We haven't heard it in a while, but post-draft, there was a ton of it. Between he and Anthony Johnson, and I think maybe even a little bit more for Anthony Johnson, but there's a, there's a lot to like about these guys, supposedly. Again, you know about my seventh-round bias, which is stronger than my undrafted free agent bias, where I still have some hope. If these guys were undrafted free agents, I'd have some hope in them, but they're seventh-round picks. Oh, shut up. But, I mean, again, this, this all just comes down to training camp as far as how he's going to perform. I don't feel comfortable with him, just as I'm sure nobody really does, stepping into a starting role anytime necessarily soon. But again, there aren't a massive amount of options. We have Shamar Jean Charles, who's primarily been a slot guy. Um, we, we've got Ballantyne, who I also think has been mostly a slot guy. Keandre Thomas, he's only a second-year undrafted free agent. So on one hand, it's like, no, Carrington absolutely should not be that next-up option but at the same time, do you know for sure who a better one is? Because I don't. So here's to hoping for some great reports out of training camp. Speaking of Shamar Jean Charles, but uh, Shamar Jean Charles, sort of a uh, forgotten commodity, I guess, for the Green Bay Packers. He was a fifth round pick in 2021 out of App State. Five foot ten, 184. Has not really played a super prominent role for the Packers. Um, in the preseason, however, he's always been relatively decent, I guess. 2021, he had a 62 grade. 2022, a 64 grade. Played a 245 snaps in the preseason over two years. But in the regular season, uh, not quite so much. In 2021, he played 38 total snaps um, through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 different games. 12 snaps is the most that he played. Through those 38 snaps, five of them were run defense, 33 were coverage. He ended with a 45.5 grade and a 50 coverage grade. 
Seven targets, seven receptions, and 82 yards, 115.5 passer rating when targeted. Then in 2022, he played a grand total of three snaps. Um, I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say that but for the complete lack of really anything in terms of, I hate to say talent, but we don't have really a lot of draft picks. We don't have a lot of experience. We've got late round and undrafted free agent guys. If not for that, I think Shamar would probably be gone. He is an undersized guy that they have invested two years in and haven't really seen much from, would be my estimation. Who knows? Maybe behind the scenes they love him and think, hey, if he has to come in in a pinch, he'd be great. But that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, they kind of gave Shamar's job away to Keyshawn Nixon. Shamar should have been that guy. Keyshawn's just a, he's supposed to just be a special teams guy. He took Shamar's job away from him. So I would say that he basically lost his job. But again, who's going to replace him? Exactly. So again, it just comes down to training camp. I mean, there's there's nothing really that's binding him here. We'll see if Corey Ballantyne can come over and take that job. I mean, there's only going to be so many spots. And they're probably only looking for one guy to fill that role as the backup slot guy. And right now they got Keyshawn doing it. Razul can do it. They can find one more guy to back up Keyshawn. I think it's kind of a done deal. In other words, Shamara lost his job once. If he loses it again, I think he's he's going to be off the team. All right, from there, let's talk about Keandre Thomas. Keandre actually had a decent amount of hype last year. Keandre, I think, is is one of the many, many examples of, yes, I understand what you heard about training camp, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, he was actually a 2021 undrafted free agent for the Cleveland Browns at six foot 186. He does not have any regular season snaps. In Cleveland, he had a 40 overall grade and a 45 coverage grade in the preseason. For the Green Bay Packers, that went up to a 68.7 and a 69.4 coverage grade. Seven targets, one reception, eight yards. That's all that was given up. And he had two pass breakups. So the the buzz around Keandre certainly was a thing. It'll be interesting to see if that buzz continues. Again, we're kind of just talking about guys that you want to not have to talk about. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but in reality, you never really want to hear Keandre Thomas is starting for you because something went very wrong. We have our starting guys, but at the end of the day, we need backups and we don't have a lot of experienced ones. So you're hoping some of these lesser experienced guys can actually develop into something promising. And unlike Shamar, our fifth round pick, I think Keandre has kind of shown some impressive things here and there. By the way, I mean, it was a jump from 2021 to 2022 and he went from Cleveland to Green Bay. Good training camp. Decent preseason. Now, he's not going to be, I don't think, he's going to be a slot guy. So he's kind of in direct competition with, I guess, Carrington Valentine right now, with uh, William Hooper, with Tyrell Ford, with maybe Corey Valentine if he's slot or boundary, I don't know. But as of right now, if I had to guess, again, despite the fact that Keandre is not really somebody that you want starting a corner, I kind of think he probably has to be ahead of Carrington Valentine. And maybe that ends by the time training camp ends. But as of today, I would just, I would be kind of surprised. But yeah, not a whole lot else to give you about Keandre, because again, he really hasn't done much since he's been in the NFL. Then we get to Tyrell Ford, and I'm going to be honest, I've got absolutely nothing to tell you about Tyrell Ford. He is 5'11", 194 pounds, and he went to Waterloo College in Canada. I don't have any grades, I don't have anything about him. The only other thing I can tell you, aside from the fact that he's an undrafted free agent out of Canada, is that he's 25 years old. Feel free to get whipped up about Tyrell Ford if you want. I'm going to just leave it at that. Uh, The last, I think, boundary guy would be William Hooper. 
2023 undrafted free agent out of Northwestern State. And boy, oh boy, are we scraping. <laughs> are we scraping here? Uh, Northwestern State. He was there for five years, started, well, played relatively significant snaps, three of the last five, the last three, I guess. In five years, he's never really had a good coverage grade. 63, 55, 49, 61, 65. The only real redeeming quality that he had was run defense and tackling, which may play very much into special teams, right? That's That just sounds like a special teamer to me. But um, over his career, five years there, 125 targets, 56 receptions for 799 yards. He gave up four touchdowns. All of them were in his final year. Had two interceptions, um, which came 2021 and 2020. And then nine pass break or t- 10 pass breakups. Nine of them came in 2022. So really, really crazy situation where he gave up no touchdowns ever. And then four in his final year. He only had one pass breakup ever and had nine in his final year. So I don't know if he just, this is his last year in college, he's like, I just got to go crazy or what. But just wild and crazy, reckless stuff. But on that note, at least from a PFF grade standpoint, he never really graded out very well in special teams. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the attributes. You know, again, I think the number one thing is just that psychotic mentality of I'm not afraid to die. And I think as long as you have that, um, you've got Rich Bisaccia saying, let me see if I can mold this guy into a special teamer. I really think that's all this is. I can't imagine this has anything to do with we think he's going to compete to be a starting corner in the NFL or whatever. I just don't think so. Anyways, finally, so Corey Ballantyne is a super, super weird situation um, because the guy's been around for a while. He went to college at Washburn. 5'11", 196, and we're talking back in 2018. He was a sixth-round pick by the New York Giants in the 2019 draft. He has played a relatively significant amount of defensive snaps in the NFL. We're talking 422 snaps. So this is not a, like, 2022 undrafted free agent that we haven't seen yet. However, he has to maybe be the worst corner from a grade standpoint over that stretch of just about anybody. 36th grade in 2019 with the Giants with a 29.8 pass uh, coverage grade. In 2020, that was a 36 again with a 34 coverage grade. And then for the Green Bay Packers this past year, so 2020 was the last time with the Giants. Then 2022 is the next time he reemerges in the regular season. Played 17 snaps, had a 46 grade and a 43.8 coverage grade. On just 264 coverage snaps, He was targeted 54 times and 40 of those were caught for 503 yards. He gave up six touchdowns, has no interceptions, and two pass breakups, a career passer rating of 139.7. So you might be asking, what in the world is he doing on this football team? He's got a pretty good special teams grade. He didn't really actually do all that great for the Green Bay Packers, but he's hovered around 70 through four different teams over three years. The, uh... Well, three different teams over three years, four over four years. But the Giants, the Jets, and Detroit, he all kind of hovered in that 70 overall grade. That's the only thing I can think in terms of why he would be here, because he's really not been able to demonstrate anything even at the level of slightly competent as a cornerback. And again, I'm all for keeping guys just for special teams. But we got to find somebody that can play corner to at least some degree. We, we've got to make sure that's covered first. And then if we've got any extra spots, like Dallin Levitt, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to play safety. I'm fine 
having like a guy that's our backup safety and then a guy who's a backup safety that we're that's not going to play safety and that's just a special teamer right if a safety goes down it ain't levitt that's going in it's jonathan owens it's Traverius moore it's maybe anthony johnson it ain't levitt but i don't care all right so you know the 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 cornerback group maybe above and beyond anything else is when you compare the strength of the starting unit compared to the strength of the depth there's got to be the biggest disparity i can't think of another group it's not offensive line we've got decent you know when you look at yash and royce and Rashid Walker and Caleb Jones, like there's some guys, you know, even Jake Hansen, we went over him before where it's like, I don't know that we should give up on the guy. You look at wide receiver, you know, Ture's Ture and, and we'll see what we got in Malik Heath and Dentavian Wicks and Grant DeBose. I mean, tight end is, you know, we got three guys that are, we relatively believe in, I guess, maybe quarterback, I guess, I don't know, but quarterback's always that way. Running back, I don't think is a disaster if Patrick, uh, Patrick Taylor has to come in or Tyler Goodson, or whatever. It's not great, but it's fine. Corner's pretty bad. Now, if Eric Stokes can come back healthy, obviously I feel much better about that. And again, we'll see what Carrington Valentine has, but it sounds like Valentine is a seventh-round pick that maybe, if he can reach his ceiling, can be something solid, but that probably isn't going to happen soon, if at all. Shamar is a guy that I don't think has really ever demonstrated he's going to be anything more. Not that I ever really had super high hopes about him to begin with as an undersized fifth-round pick. Um, Keandre Thomas, I think, is is the one that I maybe have the most hope in, if only because he's kind of at least demonstrated that he's got a little something there. Now, do I trust him to consistently come in and be... No, but maybe in a pinch. You know, he's sort of a in-a-pinch guy. He's sort of like, you know, maybe what you get in Wilson or McDuffie at linebacker. I don't want them starting. But if somebody goes out for half a game, can I trust them to come in and not just give up the entire game? Yeah, maybe I can. Corey Ballantyne is a special teamer that is only going to be here if there's enough spots available that we can just say, hey, we got we got a spot that we can take just a special teamer. But even at that, again, he really didn't live up to, again, from a PFF standpoint, what he had been in the past. And considering we have so many other guys that are solid special teamers, he's got to prove that he can be a real clutch special teamer. If he can, again, I will sign off on that all day. I don't care. And then, you know, Tyrell Ford, William Hooper, I, I just... Yeah, I, I think that's that's really it. I mean, we, we've got our starters and Stokes. So we've got like four starters. One of them is injured and I, TBD when he comes back. We've got fingers crossed on Carrington Valentine being something somewhat competent, but I'm not massively hopeful. I think Shamar is in a pinch, but in the worst possible way, only because we don't have somebody better. Valentine is just a special teamer. Keandre's in a pinch. And then Tyrell Forden and William Hooper are just here for now. And, and, you know, congrats if they can prove me wrong, but I, I, it ain't going to happen. So it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. And there's no question, you know, looking forward that, although I think we've got some great pieces, some, some more depth is, is required here. And, and I'm not talking first round picks because we don't need another first round pick. We've already got too many guys that, you know, when Stokes comes back, I don't know what to exactly do with everybody, but you know, a mid round pick. You know, sort of, sort of, you know, even like a Shamar Jean Charles, that's a fifth round pick. That's fine. But you also have to you kind of shotgun it like you did with tight end and offensive line and all this stuff where you grab like three, four, five of them over the course of maybe three, four or you know, two or three years, because you know, most of them aren't going to hit. But the point is you, you kind of scatter shot it, maybe do three in a row one year, try two again the next year. And if one of them pans out, hey, we got a, we got a decent, real solid backup that we can trust that we got in the middle rounds, you know? 
And you can't do that with every position every single year. I understand that. I'm just saying at some point the focus is going to have to switch to DB because safety is becoming a problem. Cornerback is not yet a problem, but it's extremely thin. And I don't know how long Razul is going to be around. I don't know if Keyshawn is the answer. I don't know if Stokes is the answer. I mean, we could legitimately, worst-case scenario, have a Jair as our only semi-long-term actual DB on the entire team, right? I mean, it's it's Jair and Razul with a maybe next to Keyshawn and, and Stokes. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have to turn our attention back to that and, and, and hope that, you know, because the Packers aren't going to force it, we got to hope that the upcoming drafts have some solid DBs because if they're deep at, you know, offensive line, defensive line, whatever, guess what? We're doing it again. They're going to take what the draft gives them. So, you know, again, as far as a 53 goes, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's not important, but it kind of isn't because it's not even so much how many make the official cut and how many don't. It's, it's from my perspective, framing it as it is. We've got four starters I don't know that we really have any one person that is a, a backup to the point where I actually trust them. There are just a couple guys that are maybes. Again, maybe Shamar, maybe Valentine, maybe Keandre. I don't know, but that's where training camp's going to come in. And, and, and again, how many of these guys we keep, I don't know. I don't care. I just want guys to step up and prove that they can do the job. And that's what's going to make the cornerback training camp battle somewhat fun to watch. Because I just, I just would like one. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's William Hooper. Just somebody step up and and demonstrate that we've got some depth there. So anyways, leave it at that tomorrow, maybe. We'll uh, finish this up with safety and then our little experimente will be done. But have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.